what a big God we served. Who else could say, let the waters be parted from the dry land, and it was so. Let there be light, and it was so. Only my God can say that. Stand with me one more time, please, with Bibles in hand. Isaiah chapter 40, this is the last time we're coming to this text. In this short series, I think this is the fifth Sunday, on Big God. Isaiah 40, the text for today is verse number 18 through the first part of verse 22. And let's humble our hearts before the Lord as we read Big God's word. Listen to what he says to Isaiah, through Isaiah, to the children of Israel of old and to us today. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? You understand the rhetorical answer, right? He is so big, there's nothing you can compare him to. No one compares with our big God. Verse 19, the workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution as that chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the world? Here's what I want you to see. It is he who sits on the circle of the earth. And let me add a two-word emphasis. And not me. Now, before you say amen, not you, Larry, add yourself there, right? Only God sits upon the circle of the earth. Is it not an amazing thing that such a lofty being would let me call him Father and would invite me with the people of God as we worship him? Or at any moment and breath of life, even like Nehemiah of old, between a question and answer, just to breathe a prayer to him. It's amazing that he would invite, my big father would invite me to speak to him in his very presence. Because of Christ, we can go there. Let's talk to our big God who sits on the circle of Father, we sometimes approach you way too lightly, with too much levity, with too much earthiness in our hearts. Forgive us. For you are high and holy, El Elyon, most high God, who sits upon the circle of this earth, and we adore you for that. We praise you, we worship you, as we've already inadequately expressed it in song. 
you alone are worthy of our worship. And yet, Father, you are, in a sense, very small, for you come down, in a sense. You reach down from that lofty throne, and you're very concerned about even the smallest of things in my life and in our lives together that you would care how many hairs fall from my head and would number them, I do not understand. That you would care about where my next meal comes from, and that you'd see that I have my daily bread, I do not comprehend. You would put a roof over my head and clothes on my back, and that you would use offerings of your people to do that in my life I do not take lightly I accept that as from you my big God who reaches down to love me surely out of a congregation this size there are some people who need to be reminded that you are bigger than anything and everything they could possibly face right now today at this moment and what's coming in the next few days for them. While we don't know what every person, even those nearest us where we're standing right now, we don't know what's coming in their lives. Yet you, big God, you know. And I pray that you will help them through faith in your Son lay hold of you and develop a relationship with you so that nobody walks out from this service apart from you without a forever relationship with you. We pray that you'll open our eyes, help us see. Open our ears, help us hear. Open our hearts and help us yield to your great truth through Isaiah's pen that you set on the circle of the earth. Help us see that in Jesus' name and all who care to said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've learned from Isaiah's pen that God is bigger than the nations. Assyria and Babylon, who were prophetically in that day from our perspective, who are historically great nations that rolled over Jerusalem and rolled over Israel, destroying the temple, taking captive the people of God. You think they needed to know God was bigger than the nations around them? I think they did. And in our day when there are news reports about third world countries full of pagan leaders and people who were not at all timid about pushing a red button and sending atomic bombs toward the superpowers of the globe. In the day when we are prone to fear even some of the weakest among us as nations, it is good for us to remember no Assyrian king, no Babylonian king, and no king of present day, future, or past has ever been able to do anything outside of the control of our big God. He is bigger than the nations. God is bigger than creation. Haven't we learned that? What a great concept. That God could name the billions or the million, 150 some million stars in our own galaxy. 
Plus name all the hundred million plus galaxies with their hundred million stars in them. That he has a separate name for each of them and never mixes up their names is phenomenal to me. That he would create a star that man has discovered not all that long ago so large that it would take an airplane traveling just under 600 miles an hour 1,100 years to circle that star one time. That tells me God's pretty big. God made the universe, the vast expanse that no computer can grasp, let alone the mind of man. I want to suggest to you, it shouts out to me, if God is bigger than creation and God is bigger than the nations, then my life's issues and problems are not a problem to my big God. He can handle them. I just heard this morning from two or three people about issues that life has thrown their way. From the pain of death to someone they loved, in the life of someone they loved, to surgeries that are probably impending, to relationships that are being broken. And my heart grieves with each, but I've come to say there's hope. There's hope. Don't ever lose sight. There's hope. Because we have a big God. Bigger than anything life can throw our way. Now I don't know if you needed that this morning. But there's about oh 20 times a day I need that. Especially living with Elaine and all the issues I face. <laughs> and especially being an interim pastor in a Baptist church. There are issues to face that God is bigger than. By the way, at 5 o'clock this evening, we're going to talk about at least one of those issues. And I encourage you to come for an update on that. God is big. Today, this is what we wrap it up with. God is bigger than idols. Hmm. What's an idol? An idol, my beloved, someone has written, is anything or anyone that somehow I feel I cannot live without. For without that person or that thing, my life does not have security or safety. My life does not have significance or satisfaction. Now I'd like to say something to you right here. Our security, our safety, our satisfaction and our significance does not come from anything on this round terrestrial ball. God made us in such a way, he wired us in such a fashion as to look up to him, the most high God, for our safety, our security, our significance, our satisfaction. In God and God alone are we wired to find that. And it is a lie of the evil one to conclude that anything we can purchase 
fashion or develop in this life, including a relationship with someone or some stuff. There is nothing in this life that can take the place of God and bring us what our soul and spirit desires. God created Adam, created Adam and Eve to want him and him alone. Enter Lucifer in the garden and idolatry begins. I'm not satisfied with God alone. I need this fruit for my security, my satisfaction, my significance, my safety. I need it. And so man idolatrously took it, thinking I need something more than I need a relationship with and fellowship with my God. And that plunged all mankind into the same mindset. Somehow God, big God's not enough. We need more. The greatest lie of the evil one. Believe that? Now what is idolatry? I gave it to you in a modern definition, but in a biblical Old Testament definition, idolatry boils down to making a graven image of heaven, anything in it, and or God. Now, there's a contemporary word, graven. Anybody ever done any gravening lately? That is carving. Out of something in this life, that which takes the place of our relationship and security and significance and happiness in God. Don't do that. So when you hear the word idols, you should think, what? Golden? No, that's a test to see how many are awake. Golden? Calf. Yeah, no. Please remember that story. No one here surely would fault the fear that was going through every mind in the camp of Israel in the day that the calf was made. For the one whom God spoke to them through, unlike today, the one whom God spoke to them through alone was Moses. And he'd gone up the mountain and they'd seen a terrible thing. The mountain was filled with the glory of God. The cloud was there, the Shekinah glory. And thunder and lightning filled that place, thundering out again, God is present. And Moses has been, has been gone to receive the law of great big God, but he's been gone longer than we expected. What are we going to do? Well, let's wait another day, yet another and another and another until fear gripped their heart. And so where will we turn? And always when people have no God person to turn to, no person who says, do not look anywhere else for your significance and safety and satisfaction, but to God, if no one's saying that, Satan will bring a voice, will he not, as he did in the garden? And what voice was heard? We can condemn the man, but it was the voice of the evil one who said, Bring me, man Aaron, the priest, 
who should have been a representative of God, said, bring me all the gold, the rings and necklaces and jewelry that you brought from Egypt, and I'll put it in this boiling pot and we'll see what God is big. They put it in the pot. You know the rest of the story. Moses came down the mountain. And he heard the people of Israel turning from their big God to worship what came out of that pot. And as he saw it, he took the stones and in anger, how can my people forget how big God is? He dropped those stones on the ground and broke them, the stones that contained the law of God. Aaron, what have you done? Do you not hear his answer? Well, Moses, went like this. I asked them to bring their gold. We melted it, put it in this pot over a hot fire, and poof, out from the pot came this golden calf. Yeah, well, poof this. <laughs> you made it. You created an image of a God because you lost sight of who big God is. And to hear my beloved is the important thing to lay hold of. It isn't a, a, the question that God asks when you think about idols and that which we make that is bigger than him. The question that he asks is, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness, let me add the phrase again, doing no injustice to the text, what likeness will you compare with him? We know the answer for Israel that day. It's a golden calf. But what's the answer today? Let me suggest to you some cultural, contemporary answers to that question. Who will you or what will you liken God to? Here's what our culture likens God to. Seen that house before? <coughs> of the 70 billion that live on this globe, only one can occupy the house and, if you will, the throne of the greatest superpower this globe has ever known and currently knows. And all of his minions in Congress do everything they can to lay hold of and keep hold of that house, that throne, that position, that power. And then there are the holy ones on the other side. We Republicans. Hello. Yeah, right. Who will almost say or do anything we can to dethrone that power. Why? Because we're going to be better off when our man is in power. Forgetting, my beloved, that it isn't position and power that is our source and foundation for security, satisfaction, and significance in this earth. Is our big God who gives that and who is that? 
not the person who sits on the throne of that house. Now, here's another cultural image. There is, there is not a, it's not just for no reason, not just for no, it's not by accident that they call that thing the almighty dollar. Because whoever owns the most of these things has the greatest potential of become the, becoming the most influence and greatest influence in the uh, on this globe and in that White House we just saw. Didn't we just hear this week if you had 500,000 almighty bucks? You could not only see the president, president once, but several times throughout the year. You have enough of these things and you have the power to control and influence this world. Does my significance, my ability to control, come from the number of bucks that I have in my wallet and bank account? I don't think so. That's what our culture says. And here's another image that nobody ever talks about in church. It's a symbol for man and woman in the intimate relationship that God intended them to have between husband and wife alone. There are those who say, I cannot have significance if I do not have another with whom I have a significant relationship. I have to have someone. Ignoring the fact that the Apostle Paul even exalted singleness at one point in his writing, didn't he? Do we have to have a spouse in order to be significant and secure in this life? Elaine shouts out, no! <laughs> a thousand times, no! Yet there are those who are going well beyond what God allows in the marriage bed cannot be happy until they've even some gone so far the God that is on their hearts, the throne of their very being, is passion and they will abuse children. By the way, the contemporary answer to God's question, to what will you like in me? The contemporary answer is not so contemporary, right? All three of those things are found in the Bible. The man who saw that lofty throne, we see it as the guy who sits in the White House, the 
one of old who saw that loftiest of all thrones said, I will sit upon that throne. I will replace God and I will sit on the throne. That's the height of idolatry. The sex thing, that walks all the way through the Bible, does it not? Think Samson and Think David and Bathsheba. There's even a story about daughters who got their dad drunk and laid with him in the Bible. And money isn't just today. It's been around all along. Achan said, that is not Kareem, that that, uh, fruit of Jericho that God said is Kareem, devoted to me, I will always have the first fruits. Achan said, no, I'm a part of the army that marched around the city. Yeah, your plan was really good. You did a lot to get that spoil. You marched around the city and yelled. You said, boo, and the walls came down. What a mighty man of valor you were. No, no. But in his mind, labeled that money, that wealth, that goodly Babylonian garment, and that silver and gold, he relabeled it as his own spoil. Gotta have it. Walks through the Bible. It walks through every generation. It is transcultural to this present hour. It will be here till Christ comes and wipes it out. Idolatry permeates every heart, and none of us escapes it. Would you admit that with me? It's true. So let's get to the text, and I'll only keep you another 80 minutes. The biblical answer to the question to who then will you liken me? He said, Here's the answer. Isaiah's pen, God speaking through Isaiah, verse 19 of Isaiah 40. The workman molds an image, the goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith costs or casts silver chains. You know what that shouts out? It shouts out this answer. What, uh, what will you liken unto me? Here it is. The plutocrat will try to reduce God to gold or silver. And what's a plutocrat? It's just a wealthy person. You can say, wait a minute, that verse doesn't say a wealthy person does this. It says a workman does it. But a workman doesn't do anything that he's not paid to do. A workman is what? Hired. Remember the New Testament verse? The workman is worthy his hire, his pay. He is paid to do it. Who is it that pays with silver and gold? It is the rich that pay with that quantity or that quality, silver and gold. And so the whole point is the plutocrat thinks he has significance and power and influence because he's got so much money. In case you think that's not an idol in the church, let me just fill you in on this. I remember a day a lot of years ago now when I'd been at a church shepherding a flock for a period of time, and 
the leader had become upset with the church. It had nothing to do with any sin in the church. It, he just simply uh, struggled with church life. And he walked in and he said to me, still remember him reaching across the desk, thumping me on the chest and saying, Larry, I gave $250,000 to this church. I was here when you got here and I'll be here when you leave. Now I'd like to say that my response was very holy. It was a good response. I can't say my heart was completely clear of me. But what I said was true. As he stomped out the door thinking he had the last word, I said to him, you'll never know him, so I said to him, Cal, I wasn't aware that $250,000 was sufficient to purchase Christ Church. True? I beloved, how many of us, over the years of somehow in our American Western uh, mindset and culture, have said, I've given my money there. I have a right to run that. I have a right to rule there. So many have that mindset. I'm grateful I haven't found anybody like that in this assembly, but I would just suggest to you, if ever God makes you wealthy, anybody wealthy here? I'd like to be your friend. Anybody wealthy? I haven't met any wealthy people here yet. But if God ever gives you masses of what the world worships called money, please understand whose it is. 10% of it isn't God's and the rest of it is yours. Sure, the tithe belongs to him, but so does the other 90%. And one day, my steward friend, he will want to know, was it your God or was I? And you'll answer truthfully as I will. The rich somehow think that their money can replace big God. I remember thinking early in ministry when a man moved who had given over, and I was aware of the records of the church, who had given over a third of the budget every year since the foundation of the church. His business moved him away, and his tithe went with him. And the leadership and membership were say, saying, we will collapse. That's the day God taught me. It is not the money that one man or group of men bring, or women. It, my beloved, is God who is God of the church. Whoever is too impoverished, verse 20, gives the second answer to what of you like in me. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution as we just read with silver and gold chooses a tree that will not rot. I can't give silver and gold, so I'll give wood. I can afford a two-by-four. He seeks for himself a skillful workman, and he hires that workman, 
Again, it isn't the workman at issue here. It's the individual who has hired him. To prepare a carved image that will not totter. This thing's a stable, graven, carved image I paid for with what I have. And I can put it on the mantle of my fireplace. And it will not fall. It's stable. It is my security. Who has not made their wealth, their house, their savings account? Their security. Even the poor do that, my beloved. You see, the plutocrat and the poor... Do the same thing. You say, wait a minute, the poor reduces it to wood, reduces God to wood, but the rich reduce him to silver and gold. It's not the same. It is the same thing in heart. Both of them, each of them, does the same thing as the other. They reduce big God to something so insignificant and uh, powerless. Yo. God's reduced to that. Listen, it's not the size of our church or the balance in the bank, bank account that makes us significant. It is our relationship with our big God. I hope this isn't you don't want to come to Larry after a message like this and say, you know where the attendance is or what the offerings are? Well, yeah, I see it every Monday morning. It took me a long time in ministry to get this. Our significance is not measured by graphs on a chart going northeast financially or attendance-wise. Our significance is measured by our humility before and relationship with our big God. You ought to be saying, Amen, Larry! Isn't that true? Right on. 9.58, we're done. Okay, say it like you're ready to get this over with here. Well, you are ready to get out of here. So verse 21 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard about this big God? Haven't you known? My friend, if you're here and don't know this big God... Let me just say Romans chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2. Shout out, we cannot claim ignorance. And we who have a relationship with God know this to be true. And we knew it first because we looked up into the skies and God shouted out something by his stars at night. The universe declares his eternal power and Godhead. Just another way of saying 
the stars at night shine, thundering out, God is big. You know it because you see it. More than that, Colossians 2 says, you know it not only by creation, verse 9 makes it clear, you know it by the one who created it and was made flesh and dwelt among you. And when you saw him, listen to what Colossians 2, 9 says, in him the creator made flesh, Jesus, in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What's that mean? We know the bigness of God by creation above and by the Son of Man that walked this globe. God in the person of His Son, Jesus. And you say, I never met Him, my friend. Get in John, get in Luke, get in Matthew, get in Mark, and you'll meet this big God as He walked among Develop a relationship with God through that Son. And He will root out every idol and replace every source of satisfaction that you have and security with Himself. And when He does that, you finally get it. You finally know. Money! Houses, position, power, sex, none of that gives me significance. Only a relationship with him, big God. So, have you not known, have you not heard? It is he who sits on the circle of the earth. Lofty God will not be reduced to earthy stuff. And by the way, that's not misspelled. Earthly. Earthly. It's like dirt. Right? How much is that stuff worth? Unless it's downtown Dallas. It's not worth a lot. Your body and mind's made of that stuff. And dirt, God will not allow to replace him. Relationships with anyone, he will not allow to replace him. And you ought to thank him for that. <laughs> Why? Because he has your good at heart, my beloved. He knows you won't make it in this life if you don't get it. God is big. Idols, idols are so small, they are nothing. Stand with me, please. Could I ask you to bow your hearts and head before the Lord? other than just to ask you if you will. Just before we sing the second here, will, will you say, God, search my heart, try me, 
and see if there be any idol replacing you in my heart. And I know me. I dare not say there is none, God. You're the only one on the throne of my heart and life. I can take you to times in my life when I said my ministry was more important than my God. And so God said, let me give you a break. And for 14 months, I was reminded how big he is. a time in my life when I determined I'm not going to be like another pastor that I knew. I'm not going to come to the end of my life and have nothing to fall back on. My security will be in my savings. And eight years ago, you know what happened to my savings? It went the way of society and the, the financial economic world we lived in. That man I referred to who said I won't be like him. Please listen to this. His funeral was yesterday. I loved him and I love him. He was 81 years old without a penny when he died. But the week before he died, he was still pastoring and shepherding the flock of God. His significance in mind is not in ministry and money. I don't know where your heart is. Those things probably don't mean much to you. But I know this. We all have things, even good things, that take God's place. Please tell God. Take them from the throne of my heart and be seated on my throne, the throne of my heart, your throne, where you belong today. Maybe you want to do that in a special way by coming, and as the church sees you come kneeling in front, you'll gather around you a groundswell of people who will pray for you as you walk through the week to live what you just prayed. God, be on the throne. Be my joy. Be my security. Be my significance. Be who you are. Big God in my life. Come as we sing. There'll be counselors here if you need help. Do business with God. Don't walk out without doing